Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. David Livingston was a great explorer and missionary across the continent of Africa. He would spend most of his life there, and he would die there. David Livingston said this on one occasion, God had only one son, and he was a missionary. A poor, poor example of him I am, but in this work I now live, and in this work I wish to die. I don't know for certain, but I have often wondered if the inspiration for that statement by David Livingston was found in the book of Philippians in chapter 1, verse 21, where Paul simply said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is a life verse for me. Anytime I'm asked to sign a Bible, I will always append Philippians 1, 21 to it. Anytime I'm asked to sign a book, I again will usually append Philippians 1, 21. It's only 12 words in the English text, and yet these are 12 of the most powerful words I think that you find in all the Bible. Indeed, I call it the ultimate win-win scenario. It's all the more amazing when you think about the fact that Paul wrote these words while in prison. Uh, he was not sure whether he was going to be released or whether he was going to be executed, but whether it was in life or death, Paul would have said, it's all about Christ, it's all about Jesus. To those who are graduating today, I want to say to you that wherever you go, whatever you do, whether in your life or by your death, I hope that you will never forget it is all about Christ. To live for Jesus and to die for Jesus is without question, I believe, the ultimate win-win scenario. If you live, you get Christ. If you die, you get more of Christ. And so it is from this very simple and short verse that I hope today to bring a quick charge to these graduates. But I also want to bring a challenge to all of us who are gathered here for this day of celebration because the message is indeed the same for all of us on this particular afternoon to live for Jesus and to know and experience life as God intended and to die in Christ is to embrace life as God intended for life to be embraced and furthermore and this is what is the amazing truth of the gospel if you indeed know Jesus Christ you can actually say with faith and confidence for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Death is no longer looked upon as an enemy, but rather death is looked upon as a friend, a very good friend, because it is simply the means whereby you are immediately ushered into the perfect and eternal presence of Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. Now, this verse is very easy to break down because there's simply uh, two simple truths that clearly stand out from this text of Scripture. First of all, Paul would say, there is a life worth living. And Paul would also say to us, there is a death 
worth dying. He begins by saying there is a life worth living with the simple phrase, for to me to live is Christ. Baby Bangkok, Malby Bangkok, who wrote the song, This Is My Father's World, said life is what we are alive to. And what she means by that is simply this, what moves you, what excites you, uh, what you are alive to is what you are living for. Had Paul been present today, we say, Paul, what is life to you? And Paul would have said, that's easy, for to me to live is Christ. My calling in life, my goal in life is to show others how wonderful Christ is, how magnificent Christ is, how awesome and great and unsurpassing is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul actually breaks that statement down in three very, I think, clear ways. First of all, he says of this statement, there is a life worth living. Uh, it is truly and deeply personal. The phrase begins, for to me, A.T. Robertson, the great Greek scholar, notes that the phrase for to me is put at the front of the verse for emphasis. To me, to me, to me, this is what life is about. To me, to me, it is Christ. Christ governs my life. Christ prioritizes my life. What my life is to me revolves around Christ. Others may take a different course. Others may have different priorities. Others may walk down a different path. Uh, others may have a different organizing principle for how they make the decisions they make and live life the way they do. But for me, it's very clear and very definite for me to live is Christ. It's deeply personal. But secondly, it's also practical for me to live is Christ, for me to live. In other words, life is not simply marking time. Life is not simply punching a clock. Life has meaning, life has purpose. Christianity in and of itself is a whole philosophy of life that revolves around Christ. And what does he say of Christ? For me to live is Christ. John chapter 11, verse 25, the Lord Jesus himself reminds us, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet he will live. Again, in John chapter 14 and verse six, the Lord Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I think we would all be well served this afternoon to be reminded life is a one-shot deal. Uh, years ago, there was a commercial that was known by the rhyme, you only go around once in life. The fact of the matter is, that's true. You get one shot at life, you go around once. And as we live life, we're gonna experience good days and bad days, up and down times. We're gonna make good decisions and bad decisions. And what is the organizing principle in your life is going to very much impact the decisions that you make. Yes, it's personal, it's practical, but it is also powerful. Because Paul says, for me to live is Christ. It's very interesting if you were to remove that last phrase out of the equation, for me to live is blank. How would you fill in that blank today? If you were to be gut level honest this afternoon, how would you fill in that blank? For me to live is blank. For Paul, it was a very simple thing for him to say, for me to live is Christ. I live to serve Christ. I live only for Christ. There is no, no trespassing sign in my life for Christ. 
As David Platt, the president of our International Mission Board, says so very well, when you come to Christ in salvation, you give him a blank sheet of paper and you say, Dear Lord, you fill in the blanks. I'll just sign my name at the bottom. I don't bargain with where I'll go. I don't negotiate what I will do. My life is yours, signed, sealed, and settled. No debate, no questions, no arguments. I simply report day in and day out, yes, sir, to King Jesus. That's what it means for your life to be dictated by Christ in such a way. Perhaps that's why Paul would add in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4, when Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And again, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. No, when it comes to the Apostle Paul, and it is my prayer that the same would be true for every one of us here today, Jesus Christ had so taken possession of Paul that Paul would say his very existence and his identity could not be separated from Jesus Christ. I think it was the same impulse that moved the great Moravian missionary, Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf, to say, I have but one passion, and that one passion, it is Christ. There is a life worth living in Christ. But then secondly, and this is a rather odd statement. In fact, if you're here today and, and you're not a Christian, let me say, first of all, thank you for being here. I'm glad that you've come to honor one of these graduates that I know you dearly love and that you care for and that you're here to be a part of that celebration. And I'm so grateful that you're here. But I recognize that if you're not a Christian, the idea that there is a death worth having doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I would be the first to agree with you that apart from the reality of the gospel and from apart from the reality of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I would agree life is meaningless, life is absurd, life makes no sense. But yet if Christ be risen, it all comes together. And that is why the apostle Paul could say, yes, there is a life worth living on the front end, but there's also a death worth having on the backside. You see, Paul did not fear life and Paul was not afraid of death. Why? Because either way, he was confident that he was in Christ and that he would have Jesus. Either way, he was going to find Christ to be all sufficient for anything and everything that he needed. John Piper says experiencing Christ as gain in your dying actually magnifies Christ in the essence, and it is the essence of worship in the hour of death because you are gaining something. In other words, I have Christ now, but I get more of Christ then. Two observations then I would quickly make about a death worth dying. Number one, death is inevitable. For me to live as Christ and to die. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 is very clear. It is appointed to man once to die and after this the judgment. And the fact of the matter is, without being morbid this afternoon, we're all going to die. If the Lord Jesus Christ tarries his second coming, we're all going to die. You're going to die. I'm going to die. You know, the fact of the matter is, you may cheat many things in life, but you will not cheat death. The grim reaper has your name, 
and the Grim Reaper knows your address. The Grim Reaper has a date set just for you and just for me. And when he shows up at your door, you will not be able to turn him away. Paul's point, I think, is crystal clear. Living for anything other than Christ and death is not gain, but rather death is a loss. Yes, death is inevitable, but it can also amazingly be profitable. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. Now, let's take this verse for just a moment and be very, very practical so we can see with crystal clear clarity what Paul is getting at. Take out the idea for me to live is Christ. Take out Christ. And then take out the last phrase, and for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Remove Christ, remove gain. Let's fill it in with some other ideas and see what we come up with. I'll just do this very quickly. For me to live is money, and to die is to leave it all behind. For me to live is fame, and to die is someday to be forgotten. For me to live is power, and to die is to lose it all. For me to live is sex, and to die is to live in loneliness. For me to live is a career, but to die is to be eternally unemployed. For me to live is sports, and to die is eternal retirement. For me to live is food, and to die is eternal hunger. For me to live is travel, and to die is to go nowhere worth going. For me to live is television, and to die is the loss of entertainment forever. I have a very dear friend who is an agnostic. Several years ago, he came and spent six months at a college where I was teaching, and out of that experience, he wrote a book about evangelical. It's a really uh, interesting and fascinating book. Uh, I wish I could tell you that through our witness and through our sharing with him that he had come to faith in Christ, but as of yet, he has not. We still stay in touch. But I remember reading the book, and in one of the chapters, he begins to unwrap his worldview in contrast to our worldview. He recognized that there was something distinctively different about a Christian worldview. He recognized there was something even attractive about the Christian worldview. He acknowledged that the persons he saw at our college had more motivation, had more passion, took life more seriously than his very secular friends there in Manhattan. But at the end of the chapter where he dealt with the secular worldview where there is no place for God at all, he said, you know, as I look at life and study history, when everything is said and done, and I will not use the euphemism that he uses in the book, I'll just use the word for which he used the euphemism. But he said, when I look at my life and consider my friends and our worldview way of thinking, I think it really can be boiled down to this. Life is a dog and then you die. Life is a dog and then you die. And folks, I would say again to you with all the honesty of my heart today that if indeed Christ be not raised, my agnostic friend is right. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Christ be not risen, then we are of all people to be pitied for we are still yet dead in our sins. But no, my agnostic friend also said, but Danny, I will acknowledge 
If indeed Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then there's certain things that naturally follow from that proposition. Number one, there is a God. Number two, he is that God. Number three, the Bible is true, and that means heaven and hell are real, and he makes all the difference. And I said to him, that's pretty good theology for an agnostic. He said, well, I had some pretty good teachers too. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 puts it in marvelous perspective for the child of God. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Death comes to the Christian not as an enemy, but as a friend that escorts us immediately into the presence of Christ. Now maybe you're here this afternoon and you would say to me, but Danny, uh, I appreciate what you said. I'm even grateful that you're concerned about my soul. But can I just be honest with you? Um, I gave up on the church and the whole Christian thing a long time ago. I used to go to church. There were people there that deeply hurt and wounded me, and I've never gotten over it, and I walked away, and I've never gone back. I just figured I don't need that. And Some of you would perhaps be here this afternoon, and you would say, well, Danny, you don't understand. I put my confidence, and I put my trust in some Christians, and you cannot believe how they let me down, and you cannot believe how they betrayed me, and you cannot believe how they spoke to me and treated me. And the bottom line, if that is what it means to be a Christian, then no thank you. I don't need any of that. Well, let me say this to you, first of all. For any and every time any of you have ever been wounded or harmed in that kind of a way by a Christian or by the church, I am so sorry. I am very, very sorry because that's not right. And I grieve and regret that very much. But let me also say to you that those of us who are in the church and those of us who are Christians will be the first to acknowledge that our churches are basically filled with fallen, fallible, broken sinners. Sometimes we do really, really dumb stuff. But folks, hear me and hear me well. The broken, fallen, Sinful people of the church follow a savior and a king who is perfect, sinless, glorious, and wonderful. He will never break your heart. He will never let you down. He will never, ever fail you. You say, how could I know that? You could know that by simply coming and seeing. You could know that by simply coming and tasting. I want to ask all of you for just a moment to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. Yesterday, these students and I prayed for a particular group that is here today. We prayed for those who are here today who do not know Jesus personally as their Lord and Savior. You say, you prayed for me, we prayed for you. Because I can say to you with absolute certainty, every one of these graduates would gladly leave their diploma sitting up on the stage in just a few moments if even one person today that does not know Jesus right now 
came to know our Lord and Savior as their own in the next few minutes. And so this afternoon, I want to do something that a man like Billy Graham has done hundreds of times around the world. I want to lead you in what is often called a sinner's prayer and, and understand very well. There's nothing magical about the words. What's important really is not what comes out of your mouth, but what's in your heart. But this much I can tell you, as I in just a moment voice a prayer out loud, if you will pray this prayer in your heart, and if you will mean what you are praying in your heart, I can promise you on the authority of the word of God that the God who is in heaven will hear your prayer, he will answer your prayer, and he indeed will save your soul. So if you're here today and you would say, Danny, honestly, I'm not a Christian, but what I've heard this afternoon has uh, strangely uh, stirred my heart. And you're telling me there is a God who loves me. I'm telling you there's a God who loves you with an eternal love. You're telling me he sent his son. He sent his son to live the life you should have lived but didn't. To die the death that the, you and I deserve but now don't have to die. Because he lovingly and willingly chose to die in your place. And the resurrection is the proof that indeed God accepted the sacrifice of his son. So if this afternoon you'd like to make what I know is the most important decision a person will ever make in all of life, and that is to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, just pray this prayer with me right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me and you proved it by dying on the cross for my sins. I am a sinner. I have done wrong things. I know I need to be saved. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you died for me. I thank you that you paid for all of my sins. And this afternoon, right now, I repent and turn away from my sin. And I put all of my faith and all of my hope and all of my trust in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your willingness to save me. I ask, save me right now. And Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that your word says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that anyone praying that prayer in faith, you have heard that prayer and you have answered that prayer and you have saved them. And Lord, though we will celebrate in just a moment the graduation of these men and women, we would all agree that pales in comparison to the celebration of the salvation of a soul. And so, Lord, when the graduation ceremony comes to an end in just a little while, uh, as they are greeting these that they came to uh, honor today, may they not only hug their neck and tell them congratulations, but might they also say, and by the way, when, when Danny prayed that prayer, uh, I prayed it too. And I can tell you something wonderful happened to me as I was sitting in the pew there. And I believe with all of my heart, God heard my prayer and that God has saved my soul. Lord, I cannot think of anything that would bring greater joy or happiness to our hearts today than to hear that witness. So Lord, thank you that you are faithful. 
Thank you that you are good. And thank you that for us to live indeed is Christ, but to die is gain. The Christian truly does live in the ultimate win-win scenario. We praise you for that, thanking you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.